It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. Listen, I love the Philadelphia Eagles, but we all know drafting has been their forte. That's the opponent. Shake his hand and get to the damn locker room. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. I mean, the Eagles had that game, and I hate the Saints. Like, put them at the top of my list now. With the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, the Vikings are up there. Screw them. The Patriots. I hate the Saints now. And John Nita. Jimmy Butler was your best player. So this offseason, I don't care how many millions it takes. This is the one and only. You know what? You love it. Brotherly Love Podcast with John Mita. I am Joe O'Donnell. Johnny Mita, what's going on, brother? How much, Joe? Just maintaining here on the main line. You know how it is. Yeah, you maintain. I love you. You're always maintaining. <laughs> Seriously, though. How you been? All right? Yeah, I mean, good. Well, I mean, well, got to see a great comedian in Bethlehem last weekend. I uh, got to see one of my favorites, Sebastian Menescalco. And I had the privilege of meeting the former boxing heavyweight, one of the former heavyweight champions of the world, Larry Holmes. And uh, he was just such a nice guy. My girlfriend and I, are, we got to meet him at the Fish House, which is one of Emerald Lagasse's restaurants in the Wind Creek Casino in Bethlehem. And just super nice. You know, I ended up buying him a drink. Then he reciprocated. He didn't have to do that. You know, was just very appreciative, funny, sharp as a tack. I mean, Here's a guy that fought in 75 boxing matches, and he completely had all of his wits about him, you know, and that was awesome to see because, you know, as a boxer, as a professional athlete and a heavy duty, you know, taking that many blows to the head to still be with it at the age of seven years old, man, that was great to see. So, Did you watch, all, let's stay with yeah. that theme, did you watch any of Wilder Fury 2? Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was uh, shocked. Um absolutely um you know shocked to see what you know what what the fight was like i really thought wilder i thought it'd be go late and either be decision you know at the end of it or you know or somebody would get knocked down in later rounds i really thought wilder was going to be able to um just because he was so dominant dominant but um yeah totally shocked with tyson fury i mean he came in 40 pounds heavier and it just seemed like because he was heavier, he kind of wore Wilder down, only being 230 pounds. And then he just, he dominated the fight. It was, it came out of, I knew he was a good fighter. I haven't seen that much of him, but, you know, he proved why he was the best heavyweight today. So it was, it was crazy, but I definitely did watch the fight. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. SoundCloud and iTunes. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Joe Donald John, Mita with you. Trade deadline day in the NHL. We'll start with the hockey theme. Uh, but first, I want to spread the love, Johnny Mita. I got to get the uh, spread the love uh, romantic theme song music queued up again here at some point. But uh, I'm going to spread the love today to David Ayers. You know who he is, right? Oh, yeah. World Pretty famous phenomenal. now. World famous. The Toronto Marlies Zamboni driver. Toronto Marlies are an American Hockey League franchise. They used to play in a building known as Rico Coliseum. Now I believe it's called Coca-Cola Coliseum. Your pesky Iowa Wild and Houston Arrows used to go out there once upon a time. Haven't been out there in several seasons. 
But David Ayers is a Zamboni driver for the AHL Toronto-based team. And he have <laughs> he got called into duty for an NHL game. The Carolina Hurricanes were in Toronto. It was hockey night in Canada. And the Hurricanes had not one, but both of their two goaltenders injured against the Maple Leafs. An emergency backup goaltender in the business we call him an e-bug. David Ayers came in. Uh, he locked it down. And he got the win at age 42. The emergency goalie out of the stands, onto the ice, and he gets the win. It's crazy. It can only happen in hockey. I was trying to think, is there another sport where you pull somebody literally out of the stands? Uh, And I couldn't think of one. So this has happened a little bit in the past in the NHL, but this made huge news because it was against the Maple Leafs, the hockey hotbed that is Toronto and their media circus. And uh, the fact he's a Zamboni driver makes it all that more ironic. David Ayers, congratulations on spreading the love on appearing in an NHL game. And not only that, getting the win for the Carolina Hurricanes in relief duty. Saturday night, you know, we were watching the fight and it just, I was like, what do you mean? Like Zamboni, like, how does this all happen? And then I talked to some people that kind of knew, just like yourself, you know, knew a little bit about hockey. So. Apparently, there always has to be one emergency guy at the game, which I didn't know. They, they, did you know that? I, mean, I actually you, didn't. I know that in the past, like the Blackhawks, I believe, called some guy, like an accountant that was in town and it sort of serves his role. I know, I'll know. i tell you this much. I know every team has a guy, right? Even here in right. Iowa, we've got one or yeah. two names in the old uh, Rolodex. You can dial <laughs> up if you need a guy for practice or Say a team's yeah. coming in and they have an injury or a late call up of one of their goalies, and they know yeah. they just need somebody to take warm ups and sit on the bench. But yeah. it rarely happens where the guy gets involved. I didn't realize in the NHL that you always had somebody at the game. Now there's talk that maybe moving forward, the league will just allow each team to sort of travel with a third guy, sort of your regular Joe, your men's league yeah. extraordinaire, pay him peanuts. But he gets to hang with the team, practice, whatever, and then be there in these duties. Um, David Ayers played 28-plus minutes. Carolina, give him credit, held Toronto just 10 shots on goal while he was there. He stopped the final eight, and they won 6-3. And um, it's crazy. James Reimer got injured early in the game. Then Peter Morazic came out to handle the puck at his own hash marks, and he got freight trained by Kyle Clifford. I don't know what he was thinking. Well, I don't know what... Who, who was thinking, Clifford or Morazic? Morazic. I mean, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing when I saw him. I'm like, knowing that you are the last line of defense, literally, how could you go out and try to make that type of play? It's it's such a dangerous play. Like, I mean, you're you're like another player once you travel, you know, 20 yards down the ice. I yeah. mean, that was that was crazy. And uh, yeah, it was what a great story. I'm sure it'll become a made for TV movie. Um, it's it just, uh, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Like it's, it's crazy. So, so I got, I got two quick stories when I saw an emergency backup actually playing a game. Sure. All right. I believe there was a time in Houston where we, it was, and I believe it was the playoffs where Barry Bruss was one of the arrows goalies and he got a cut on one of his legs, like behind his pad. The other team, I think it was Peoria at the time where they were kind of classy enough, might not have been the playoffs. Memory's fading me at this point, but they were classy enough to sort of slowly delay the start of the second period. But coming out with the team to start the period was like the emergency backup at the time. And it was like, oh, dear God, this guy's not going to play, right? So 
Bruss ended up coming in and playing. But there were two times that I can remember where I saw an emergency backup play. 2007, when I was with the Idaho Steelheads, we're in Phoenix playing the Roadrunners. It was a hammer and nail rivalry. The Steelheads would go on to win the Kelly Cup that year. It was a first-place team against a, a doormat team. And we were up big. The Steelheads were up big at the end of the first period. And the horn sounds, and there's some pushing and shoving, and a little, a little scrap breaks out. And Phoenix's goalie goes the length of the ice because he knows the kid that's starting um, is a rookie from Harvard, John Danu. He was average at best. No offense. The Steelheads' number one goalie at the time, our top goalie, was in Iowa, oddly enough. Uh, the Iowa Stars, Dallas's AAA team. So at Dallas, Iowa, Idaho. And so without the number one goalie and sort of playing the backup, we had an emergency backup dressed that night. Well, so Cody Rakowski goes the length of the ice, just absolutely feeds John Danu his lunch, leaves him for dead, knocked the tooth out. So I ran out the first intermission to be like, dude, what's going on? And they're like, Danu's out. So Tim Baumgartner came in and played the final two periods in Phoenix that night. All I got on Tim Baumgartner, on Timmy Baumgartner from the uh, Phoenix radio guy, good buddy of mine, Dan Weiss, was that he worked in Avis Car Rental Center. So that's what I had for the broadcast the next two periods. Tim Baumgartner played his heart out. He was like my size. He was a men's league, men's league goalie in the Phoenix area. He stopped a penalty shot that night. But eventually the Roadrunners rallied and won the game on a third period power play goal. I think it was like 5-4 the final. We were up maybe 4-1 after one period or whatever. And it was, but the reason it makes me think of this is the story about Ayers is Carolina only gave up 10 shots over the last 28 minutes. That was what I saw from the Idaho Steel that night. You will never see a more com- a committed group to blocking shots and sacrificing when you <laughs> than when you have an emergency uh-huh. backup in net, right? Like, you don't want anything to get through. So yeah. uh, the Roadrunners end up coming back winning the game eventually. The other time was somewhat more recently. Dave DeSander played for the Iowa Wild. And that was a game where the Wild were getting their bl- doors blown off in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And head coach John Torchetti just decided... Screw it. I'm playing the kid the last period. So he came in and played the last period for us. Now, the reason I remember this more precisely is I recently saw Dave DeSander in Grand Rapids. He came by to say hello to some of our staff. He's still a local guy, works a cubicle job, whatever. He goes on to tell me that period ends and Torch just went up to him like, you're going in for the third. So he, he ends up telling me that he like found the captain at the time, Brett Sutter, and was basically like, man, I haven't played hockey in a really long time. I'm just giving you a heads up. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't even know how it was going to go. Uh, but he got in the game, played the third period. And a few months after the game, I got a call from Minnesota Finance. They're like, hey, we're trying to cash some checks here. Dave DeSander has an uncashed check. I'm like, Dave DeSander? Dave DeSander? I'm like, I know that name. That guy was our emergency backup. Well, sh- he didn't want to cash the check because to him it was a memento. For the couple hundred bucks, right? He had a check from a pro hockey team. So he ended up reissuing the check to Dave DeSander so he could cash one of them, at least get his couple hundred bucks for being an emergency backup. But those are my two emergency backup stories for you. The fact that you have a couple emergency backup stories is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just so rare to see. What a great story. You know, obviously, Carolina played their, their tails off just to make sure and to get them to win. The funny thing is, he's like in half Carolina gear, and then he's got like Toronto. Yeah, the Toronto Marley you know, sort Toronto. of mask. Yeah. So in the past. Yeah. So and, and, and his past. Yeah. So he. So I saw on Twitter, uh, Casimir Kaskasuo, I believe is his name, is one of the goalies in Toronto's system, or was, uh-huh. and yeah. he gave his old stuff to David Ayers. 
That's why he was rocking some some Marley stuff uh, because I saw on Twitter afterwards, Cascasuo took to Twitter and was like, "Hey, my old stuff's looking good." Like, even he oh, got a kick out of like that his old gear had gone to the Zamboni driver and like sort of the practice yeah. guy for the Marleys when they need him. And then sure enough, he's playing hockey night in Canada and gets the win for Carolina. By the way, Carolina needed those two points big time. Rod Brindamore's group uh, in a playoff battle right now with a team like our Philadelphia Flyers. And let's transition right there. The NHL trade deadline comes and goes. The Flyers do make a couple of small moves. They get Nate Thompson and Derek Grant, a couple of veteran guys. Uh, They get Thompson from the Canadians for a fifth-round pick in 2021. They get Grant from Anaheim for forward Kyle Chris Colo and a fourth-round pick this year. Chris Colo, uh, a minor league guy for most of his career. In fact, a former Grand Rapids uh, Griffins forward, just to tie that all together. So anyway, the Flyers make a couple moves, adding some experience, adding some depth. I'm glad, honestly, unless they're going to make a home-run type move, I'm kind of glad that Chuck Fletcher and the group held Pat, uh, stood Pat, because the Flyers have been playing great hockey. And why mess with something that's working right now? Again, I don't know it's realistic to think Flyers win the Stanley Cup this year, but I think it's certainly realistic that in a year or two we start talking about them as a true contender for Lord Stanley's Cup. When was the last time you could really say that? It's been a while. But Philadelphia's on a roll right now. Seven wins in the last ten. They are pushing for the Metropolitan Division title, which I didn't think was possible. Just five points back of the Capitals for the division lead in the hardest division in hockey. Will they get into the playoffs? I sure hope so. They don't have a lot of breathing room between being in and being out. But I, I have liked what I've seen from them. They're getting contributions from the veterans. The Kevin Hayes signing has paid dividends. Uh, even JVR's got a sneaky 19-20 goals on the air. And I think he stinks. But Brian Elliott has provided a lot in net that I didn't think he could provide. You know, they kind of signed him on that last-minute last deal to bring him back again. And a lot of people probably rolled their eyes. He's been really good. Carter Hart's been really good. And at home, Philadelphia is 21-5-4. So... You got you you come to Wells Fargo Center come spring hockey April May June it's not an easy place to play. The Flyers right now put themselves in a good spot. I've been impressed from the games I've seen, the highlights I've watched. Um and right now, you know, I, I'm glad they kind of didn't tinker with what's been a good mix. They're getting contributions from the old guys and the young guys. I agree. It's not like this team, you know, a lot of times when you're like you really feel like you're a contender and you make that move at the last you know, when I mean, if you look at the Eagles when they got JHI, it's like, wow, that was like a move that they just you didn't see coming, but it was like a good move. It was yeah. under the radar. Put him but, over the top, but, but he made a difference. You know, he helped make a difference, and because they are playing so well, and because the chemistry is so good, I, I I'm glad they stood pat. I'm glad Chuck Fletcher didn't do anything crazy, give up anything that was too significant, um, and they just made. A couple tinker moves, add some veteran leadership, maybe because they are such a young hockey team, and you know they're rolling right now, and they're fun to watch. I mean, they're. I think one of the big things for me this season, it's been so nice to see Sean Couturier, right? Early on in his career, yeah, I think he had like a masterful season against the Penguins in the playoffs, and right. like, oh my god, right? We're all expecting twenty-five be- goals every season from here on out, right? You know? Yeah, and you're like, man, this guy's going to be an absolute stud. And he's been a decent player, but not like a, a really good player. And this year, he has really come on, specifically on the offensive. Obviously, he, you know, he, he marks these assignments on defensively. He, 
he goes up against some of the other great forwards and centermen on the other teams. But this year offensively, you know, shorthanded, he's always been a wizard. And even in the shootouts, you know, God, how many years have we gone where, like, uh, game goes to a shootout? Yeah. And you just say, well, there's no way we're going to win. Now it's like, oh, we got a shot. And, you know, he's had some big goals and shootouts. And it, it's nice to see that he came on and, you're right. I think in a couple of years, a couple more pieces, and again, it's just so crazy when you think about, you know, the injuries to Nolan Patrick and Oscar, you know, Limblom dealing with the cancer, and it's like, man, if those two guys were on your roster yep. right now, Oscar was essentially, you know, having his a career year. Yeah, he was having a breakout Nolan. season. Yeah, it's a great right. point. And Nolan Patrick is, you know. Again, the big P word, just that potential of being a really good player, you know, with him suffering the concussions and being out. And again, you added those two players to the mix. Where would this team be? But the fact that you're right, that they're so close to the division lead is pretty remarkable. Yep. But the other, the downside of that is because the Eastern Conference is so strong this year, whereas in years past, maybe you could slip into the play. Now, every game, it's going to come down to maybe the last two games of the season. So yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. They've got 20 games to go. They are, again, third place in the Metropolitan. And when you look at the wild card, you know, they only have a, a handful point lead over those that are in and those that are out. I mean, right now you've got, you've got Columbus that's out. They have 74 points. The Flyers have 77. So... You know, it's going to come right down to, as you put it, the last couple of games. You know, the Islanders are trying to make some moves to bolster their team. The Penguins made a couple of moves. Boston added a piece. I mean, the big boys got better. Washington added Ilya Kovalchuk, um, who was out of hockey, basically, with, with the way the season started in L.A. You know, in fact, the game I did with Minnesota in L.A., he was scratched that morning because of... Uh, what I would call contract conduct detrimental to the team. I basically he showed up to he he showed up unprepared to practice. Uh, I think you can read between the lines from from maybe what he was doing the night before. So L.A. was just cutting bait with him, and then you know he he goes to Montreal and starts lighting it up, and it looks like the Kovalchuk from the late nineties. <laughs> and, and then you know, and now you've got him going to the Caps, and, and can he pair with Ovechkin there, and that, can they keep him in line? So you got teams making moves, and the Flyers didn't do much, and again, I'm okay with it. I'm glad you mentioned, because I hadn't even seen it, the fact they had a couple of veteran pieces, and just reading up on it now with, with Derek Grant and Nate Thompson, they're going to get some guys that have experience, guys that can kill penalties, and provide you a little bit of veteran leadership. So um, we'll see how it shakes out. I hope the Flyers get in. Uh, I talked to a somebody with the Flyers hockey operations staff a week or so ago, and they said there's pressure to win there, which I kind of found interesting. You know, you would think you'd give a little bit more of a grace period to Chuck Fletcher and his group there, but uh, there is apparently from the top down pressure to get in the playoffs this year and make a bit of a run. So we'll see how that all sorts out. Uh, Philadelphia Philly, spring training. You can smell the grass, the crack of the bat. I can hear it, John Mita. It's here. And uh, I'm not really happy. I'm not happy with the JT Real Muto situation. You know, he goes to arbitration. There's a bit of a loophole that the that the Phillies take advantage of, from what I understand. Because arbitration, apparently, rather than comparing Real Muto to other catchers, they're able to compare Real Muto to other players. 
And so then he got screwed out of basically a couple of million dollars, right? The Phillies essentially won the arbitration, right? Did I did I understand that situation correctly? Yeah. So basically, so essentially, like I think arbitration wise, you can like come in with your number. So yep. Um, Riamuto and his agent came in at twelve and a half million, and the Phillies were like, "Nah, we think you're worth ten million. And then basically, the arbitrator had to decide over the two and a half million. You know, the player and then the organization makes their cases, and then essentially the arbitrator decides, you know, the end result of what what the player is going to be awarded salary wise. But I agree with you, man. It sets a terrible precedent. Right. You're talking about two and a half million dollars. Right. Okay. For for the probably the best catcher in baseball. The best player like, on your team. Well let's just start right. there. Forget the league, forget the catcher yeah. position. The MVP of the team last year, you know, you could at least argue somebody else, maybe one or two other guys, but at the end of the day it's yeah. probably Real Muto. He's silver slugger winner, gold glove winner, you know, Didn't the best the most consistent, yeah. you know. As far as at the plate goes, I, I know Harper had better numbers when it was all said and done, but as far as consistency from April to September, it was JT Realmuto. And it's just crazy to think that they want to play hardball over a million or two with who could the guy that could be your best player, that is your best player in the eyes of a lot of people, and then you're paying a guy in the outfield like thirty three freaking million dollars. Like what are we doing here? And well and the other thing is too, it you know, when John Middleton talks about spending stupid money, right. and you know, we'll go back to this for years to come. It's like, we'll spend a little couple more of that stupid money right. and make sure this guy's happy. He yes. doesn't want don't, to leave. Right. That's I don't want thing. him leaving a year right. from now because the, because he's pissed off. He's got a bad taste in his mouth about an arbitration hearing where, uh, you know, a bunch of dudes on a panel, a three-person panel decides how much this guy makes. Like, it just seems... So antiquated, you know, so, so old school. Like, are we really still using a panel of people like, well, and then he hit 312. And if you compare him to this guy who hit 313, then he should make $8 million. No, look at the situation. He's the best player. He should be paid like it. Look at the situation and just decide, like, you know, take care of him. Yes. The other other thing that they're going to look real damn cheap is the fact that they still aren't over the luxury tax threshold. Right. You know? And and if you go over, if we paid another pitcher, you know, maybe crazy Madison Bumgarner, a.k.a. the rodeo star, but if you pay another player and you go over, it, it would cost the team like $5 million to pay the luxury tax. Listen, the more you make your team competitive, bring in players that are probably going to get you over the top, have you in contention, you're going to sell more seats. You know, last year, even though they got Bryce Harper, the ballpark wasn't always sold out. But there was a run, and the Phillies were really hitting it, you know, from 2006 to 2010. I mean, they were selling out. They had like 100, and, you know, they sold out for like a couple of years straight. It's just, it's ridiculous to fight over a player for $2.5 million. It really is. It, it looks petty. It looks embarrassing. And if you're other free agents, you know, you're like, man, are these guys going to hold me over to the fire for a couple million? You're like, and I know we're saying a couple million dollars, that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Let's not take this out of context. But when it comes to these types of professional athlete contracts, that's not really that right. much. And money. that's the rate. That's the rate for the top end catcher. You know what I mean? Like, yes. 
It's not it's not like we're talking about paying him something that he's not worth by all of, you know, a lot of Philadelphia's opinion and ours apparently. Yeah. He's worth it. So just why go down that path and piss him off or whatever or even make him think about maybe this isn't my long-term home. Maybe these guys don't value me. Maybe I don't want to play 160 freaking games. Like that guy the reason you can have Andrew Knapp on your roster, which, by the way, I still hate, but the reason you can afford to carry a loser like Andrew Knapp is because JT Real Muto is the man. He yeah, gave you absolutely. everything you wanted last year in a lost season, another lost season for this guy who's been in Florida now where they stunk and a disappointing year of Philadelphia. This guy wants to win. He wants the baseball, essentially. You know, you use that pitcher's adage, like, does he want the ball or not? He wants to squat behind home plate Every single day. There was talk last year that they couldn't even, like, Kapler wants to, wanted to have him take a day off. He don't want to take a day off. That's the yeah. guy you want in your in your clubhouse. And they want to 100%. beat him up over a couple million dollars when, again, Bryce Harper is going to make $33 million. Well, let's just hope that this is kind of, hey, we just want to get you one of those types of things you see in the NFL lot. We'll get you in here, and we're going to long-term we got to make the way to make him feel, you know. Yeah. And maybe maybe in that, if he signs like a new five-year deal, maybe you throw that $2.5 million that you screwed him out of this year and you throw it in the, the next contract. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're right. To appease the situation, you know, yeah. you've got to make it right. Because if you don't, and he leaves, you gave up one of your top pitching prospects. God knows we don't, you know, we never know what that guy will do. But, you know. But at the same time, you have to do something. Just make them happy, okay? We want to keep the good players. There's plenty of players we want to get rid of. And we feel like, listen, I wouldn't give them that money either. But this is a guy that is well-deserving of that extra $2.5 million. And It's just a joke that right. the Phillies you keep, were that. You keep a guy like Sean Rodriguez around all last year just stealing money. And then when it comes to paying real mutual in the offseason, it's like, let's go to arbitration, let's lowball him, let's use this loophole, compare him to yeah. Rendon, who's a third baseman, Anthony Rendon, and in, you know they have similar numbers, so like let's try and skew it, and then you win arbitration, and now real Muto's camp ain't happy. Like it's just it makes no sense to me. I will well, say this on, on the Phillies though, as a whole, I am excited. We talked about it when Joe Girardi was hired. You know they need to get a real manager, not some puppet. Not some analytical sunbathing nerd. Like, they needed a legit manager. And they got one. And yeah. I, and the other thing, I don't know if a lot of people are talking about this, but you know where I come out on Andrew McCutcheon. And you know how I felt about him. And if you look at the splits, when McCutcheon was in the lineup, and I know it was early in the year, and the Phils got off to a great start, but their record without Andrew McCutcheon stunk. And I'm glad to get him back. I'm glad to have Girardi, a real manager, hopefully hold these guys accountable. And I think there could be big things this year for this Phillies team. But they got to get off to a goddamn good start. They've got to have a better clubhouse. And they got to make sure that they address the pitch, uh, the pitching issues, which I'm sure at some point are going to creep up and piss off everybody in Philadelphia. Well, you know, and Sir Anthony Dominguez, and here's a guy that they, you know, most likely should have got Tommy John surgery. And they he didn't get any type of surgery. Oh, cool! So, so we got the we got the uh, Deshaun Jackson thing going on with him too. Let's just rehab him, and then in, and then in two weeks he'll he'll blow his arm out. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, let's hope that's not <sighs> the case. But but the Andrew McCutcheon, you're right. I think that totally derailed their season last year. It was the, maybe the biggest injury in all of baseball last year. And he and who knows? Like, let's he 
maybe one pitcher can emerge. One of these crappy low low end starters. Maybe somebody ends up having a good season. I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe Eflin has a breakout year. Maybe Vinny Velasquez can do something. All right, you can enough. I can't listen to this anymore. I can't listen to it. Pavetta, who's that? Pavetta for the Cy Young. Give me a break. Um, All right, Johnny Mita. Optimism. Two to three minutes here, Max. What would you do with Alshon Jeffrey if you're the Philadelphia Eagles? Oh, it's clear and obvious. You, you got to find a trade partner with him. I mean, it's from everything you've heard of, apparently he's welcoming a change. So he, he pretty much already has two feet out the door. Yep. Apparently, him and Carson never, you know, liked each other. It was hard to see that because it looks like they did have some real good chemistry. But then, if you look back on the year they won the Super Bowl, he really started to fall out when he was playing with Nick Foles. So. You know, at this point, the thing that sucks really terribly is the fact that you're talking about like $26 million of dead cap space. Yep. So the only way to, similar to what the Steelers did with Antonio Brown, like they just flat out released him and took that enormous hit. But you can also see the repercussions that it had on them trying to fill fill the shoes in that area and that roster. So if there's any way we could, you know, get some team to eat half and we'll pay the rest of the half of the contract to limit the dead money, then that's the best case scenario. But again, you're talking about trading a player that's coming off, you know, a season, you know, you know, he had surgery at the end of a season. So that that's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult. You know, all the things that I've read online, it's like, hey, we'll trade you Alshon Jeffrey in this pick and then you give us a fifth and sixth rounder back. It's like, wait a minute. We're going to give you a starting wide receiver and then. And draft capital for a worse pick just to get rid of them. Yeah. Right. And those are all the scenarios that that I've seen online. But they might be the only realistic ones, you know, unless you want to just buck up and eat the money and release them. Or, or, and I think this is a very slim possibility, see how healthy he is and you roll it back again and you see if maybe, you know, maybe you can get a good year out of him. And it's hard, it's crazy to think that given where we were this time last year, this time two years ago, that we'd be even having this conversation, to be quite honest. But if he was, you know, the if he is the, the cancer in the locker room, if he is the rat, if he's the guy that's causing right. issues, then yeah. you've got to just do what's best for the organization at this point. And if that means he doesn't play and you're a better team because of the, you know, the toxic atmosphere that he brings, like if, it, if it's better without him, I yeah, guess you got to move on. It's, it's so disappointing, yeah. man. It's just so disappointing. It is because it is, I was super stoked. And, you know, when he signed here, he was like, one of the reasons I signed here is because I'm going to play with Carson Wentz. And yep. he had a real good year. And then you're like, all right, then they're going to extend him because he only came here on a one-year deal. Right. And then they threw some big money at him. And then it's like, now he wants out of town. So He played through injury. Ball. He had an amazing yeah. Super Bowl. And, and yeah. then since then, it's really been downhill. Um uh, let me add this. The one thing I saw that might be a possibility is there could be language in the contract that if he had that sort of conduct detrimental to the team, if they can prove or say, you know, he crossed this line because of, you know, bashing teammates to reporters behind their back, yeah. there is some language in the contract that would allow them to get out of it then. But I just don't know how you go on some smear campaign and try and prove that. And the NFLPA would lose their mind. So I don't know if that's a real possibility or not, but I did read that 
that that's at least yeah. a, a, an option possibly for the Eagles. That'd be extremely difficult. Yeah. But who knows? All right, brother. Good stuff as always. You're the man. Uh, the Sixers stink, at least compared to our standards. So that's disappointing. Nova Nation's back on track. That's good to see. Any final yeah. thoughts in the last 30 seconds or so? Uh, the big question in the future for the Sixers is going to be, can these two guys, Embiid and Simmons, play together? And if it doesn't work out, I think you need to hire a new head coach and maybe give him a turn at it and then move on from there. But... It's to be determined, man. It's very disappointing because this might just end in another loss year. So, the Philadelphia Flyers are the hottest team in Philadelphia right now. Let's go, baby. Flyers, Flyers, Flyers. Who would have thunk it? Uh, And Al Horford stinks. All right. That does it for the Brotherly Love Podcast for John Mita. I am Joe O'Donnell. Appreciate everybody tuning in. I'm going to be out of town like the next, it feels like, until June. So, we don't know when the next podcast will be. We appreciate all love and support. Johnny Mita, you're the man. You got it, brother. All right, Godspeed, everyone. Thanks for listening. Till next time. We'll see. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.